Hey friends, welcome back to Unshakable. Thanks for joining me again. Listen, um, I know if you have been on this journey with us over the last few weeks, you may be growing impatient. You're like, when are we getting to actual Christian nationalism? Uh, today is the day. But listen, I think it's important, and I thank you for your patience. I think it's important that we sort of built that foundation on post-millennialism and the eschatology of the CN movement um, as a sort of a launching pad for what we'll talk about today and over the next few weeks. So thanks again for hanging with me. Today we want to talk about the source of the Christian nationalist movement. Where did it come from? Um, why has it suddenly become a thing? Why is it so important that as a pastor, I feel like I need to come on to YouTube and talk to my church family and say, hey, you should know about this. Uh, and it's because I see some warning signs. And so I want to make sure that you guys understand what's happening. So let me start today by talking about um, the source of the Christian nationalist movement. Where did this come from? Um, it comes primarily out of what we call the strictly reformed camp. When you look at Protestant Christianity, there's all these tribes or, or camps, if you want to call them that. And the CN movement comes out of the reform camp. Now, you may be saying to yourself, hold on a second, at Oak Hill, aren't we reformed? Yes, to some extent. We love the Reformation. We are, we are Calvinists in the way we see salvation. We love God's sovereignty. That's a part of it. But when I talk about the strictly reformed camp, there's some other things that go with it. Yes, they're Calvinist in the way they view salvation. They are confessional. Uh, meaning they love the creeds and confessions and adhere to them. Uh, but they're also covenant theologians. What do I mean by that? They see the entire Bible story through the lens of what we call covenant theology, whereas we see it through a different lens, and that is what we call dispensationalism. Maybe that's for a, a future video at some point. Uh, they're covenant theology. And one of the things that goes with that is what we call Pedobaptism, which is the baptism of infants. Again, maybe that's for a whole different show at some point. And then, of course, they have this post-millennial eschatology as well. So those things all fit together. And the Strictly Reformed camp has some very strong personalities, uh, church leaders, ministry leaders who have harnessed blogs, they've written books, and have used social media, Twitter in particular, to really push their ideas. Let me try to summarize... Um, the narrative that they have built to try to move Christian nationalism forward. Uh, and we would agree with some of this, so, so bear with me as I walk through this. They would say, look, in, in the last decade or so, the world has been turned upside down. Morally, um, uh, spiritually, there is chaos, there is confusion, and of course, we would agree with all that. What they would say is that the church bears a great deal of the responsibility for that, that the church has been too passive, too self-absorbed to really notice what's going on out there. They would look in particular at the evangelical church and say, look, while you guys were worshiping in your big, beautiful buildings, um, navel-gazing, and only focused on yourself, the world has gone to hell in a handbasket ha hand outside the walls of your church, and you don't seem to care. The fact that you've pulled away from that, we're now reaping the consequences of that in culture. So they would say, look, we as, as Christians have neglected the public aspect of gospel ministry. And so they would say it's time to reverse that. We need to start proclaiming God's law as the only answer, the only cure to the cultural ills that we're seeing happening around us. And so they would say, look, as Christians, we need to come together. The church must work to establish God's law in every domain of society if we can hope to pull back 
from this precipice that we're on right now. So they would say God's law needs to be reinstituted in the home, in our businesses, in education, in the public square, and most of all, it has to go back into civil government. So it's very much a top-down message that they're preaching. If we can change civil government, Christianize it, then that is going to trickle down to the rest of society. Now, there's a couple other terms you'll see for this narrative that's out there. One's called dominionism, and that grows out of, of way back in Genesis, where Adam was given this task by God to, to take dominion of the world, the earth, and to subdue it, right? And then, of course, because of the fall, that didn't happen. So this is a sort of a recovery or a restoration movement where we take back dominion of the earth and we take dominion over culture. So that's one phrase. The other one you'll hear is theonomy. Uh, so theonomists is, is one of the terms they'll use for themselves. And that's just two Greek words put together for God and for law. And it refers to this idea that we need to put God's law back into society and let that be the governing factor of society under the Lordship of Christ. So here's something we should recognize. Um, you can understand why this movement is becoming popular in the time that we live in today. Um, the CN folks would say, look, we are offering an alternative to what the church has been sort of force-feeding Christians for too long now. And that is this sort of soft pietism, they would call it, where all we do is focus on ourselves. We, we navel-gaze, right? We look down and go, this is all about me and my walk with Jesus and, and worshiping the Lord in my heart. And we've completely ignored what's going on outside of, first of all, our own hearts, but then outside the walls of the church. They would also say, look, a church that promotes that, this sort of overly touchy-feely, um, feminized version of the church, one that is self-absorbed, that is sort of isolated from the reality of the world around us, is unhealthy and it's got to change. So they would say, look, here's the alternative. They would say, we want a church that is much, much stronger, much more masculine, a church that's more aggressive about going out into the world and changing it. And they would point to the Bible and say, look, the early church changed the world. They were the small minority of people. They were persecuted. But then God did this great movement and they changed the world. They overcame the Roman Empire. So they would say, that's what we need to be about. We need to be about true Christian activism. And this is very attractive. There are Christians out there right now that probably watch too much cable news or on social media too much, and they see the craziness of the world. And they say, look, I don't feel like I fit in anymore. We talked a few weeks ago about the fact that we are aliens and strangers in this culture, right? We're part of a kingdom inside of America. And there's a lot of folks, Christians out there right now saying, I don't fit in. I feel useless in this world. I feel hopeless that things are gonna change. I believe the church is failing. So when they hear somebody come along and say, let's get up and do something about it, that's very attractive to them. So they get swept up by emotion. Like we can be uncompromising, we can be strong and masculine and we can push back and, and we can be aggressive about what we believe and then say it's biblical. And then if you add in that post-millennial eschatology that says, well, this is what God has promised. If we get up and we begin to Christianize our culture, well, then Christ will return someday soon. You can see why this becomes popular. So before I get critical of the narrative that I just described from the CN folks, let me be charitable and just say, listen, there's some things that the Christian nationalist movement brings to the table 
that we should look at. There's a kernel of truth to some of the things that they say about the church today, and that means we can have a good, worthy, healthy dialogue about it. So, for example, yes, it's probably true that the church is neglecting the public aspect of gospel ministry today. We can talk about that. Yes, it's true that many of our churches have become too soft and too compromising, right? And too self-absorbed. We're not uh, we're not looking outside the walls of the church enough. So we can thank the CN folks for bringing that to the table. We can have that discussion. Now, what do we do with it? Um, we should make minor adjustments in our perspective. If we see that, somebody points that out, we say, yeah, that's, that's true. We should make some minor adjustments. But as you and I both know, in the church, we tend to not like minor adjustments. We like to burn it all down and rebuild it, right? Or as we say, we like to swing the pendulum from one side to the other. And when we do that, we usually end up in an unhealthy place. And so, listen, that's, that's my concern. The reason I wanted to do this series is because I wanna warn folks in my church not to get swept up into the CN movement without knowing what's going on. And I see some real, uh, some real warning signs in terms of the heart motivation behind it. And I'll just start here. Look, it's obvious that the CN movement has a major focus on politics, right? And civil government. And uh, a major focus on fighting what we call the culture wars, okay? So again, there, there might be some things we need to jump more into, but if that becomes your focus, if you're just all about absorbing media, whether that's cable news or Twitter, whatever it is, and constantly dealing in politics and fighting the culture wars, we all know where that tends to lead. We get angry, we get frustrated, and we get impatient. And then we tend to lash out at people. And when we lash out as Christians, we know we're in an unhealthy place. First of all, we end up lashing out at the world, at unbelievers, right? We look out and we go, you guys are so lost. Well, of course they're lost, right? And CN folks would admit, well, look, they don't have the Holy Spirit. Their, their, their eyes are blinded, so of course they're lost but you could end up turning your harvest field into your enemies, people that you end up hating rather than having compassion for. So we ought not be lashing out at the world in that way. But second of all, a lot of CN folks will lash out at fellow believers. And this becomes very divisive and destructive within the church. They especially will critique folks like me who are premillennial, right? Who see the world getting darker, not better. And they'll say, well, look, you guys are too weak. You're not fighting the battle, right? You're, you're too passive. Amazing story. Just a couple months ago, uh, some prominent CN guys clipped a, a sermon from Dr. MacArthur, just like a 30-second clip where he was, he, was, he was talking about the premillennial view that things are going to get worse. And in the end, yeah, martyrdom and, and persecution and all that. And they began to brand Dr. MacArthur and that whole viewpoint as, ready, loser theology. Loser theology. To say that, oh, see, see, and, and to accuse Dr. MacArthur of not fighting battles is incredibly ironic and, and, and just flat out wrong. But that's the, that's the tack that they took. That we're too passive, that we're too weak, and that we give into culture. And that is not true. The truth is, premillennialists like myself, like Dr. MacArthur, hopefully like you, we do want to see the gospel change the culture around us. We do want to see moral improvement as long as it's done the right way. Yes, we want to see the church grow stronger in standing on 
biblical principles and speaking the truth into the public square. The key question, and this is the crux of my frustration with the CN movement, is how do we actually go about doing that? What are the weapons that we're supposed to use to fight this so-called war? That's a, that's a really key question. What weapons does the Bible give us to pick up and to fight this war versus what our flesh wants to do? So we'll get into this more. I'm out of time this week. In, in future episodes, we'll talk more about that. We'll talk about the relationship between church and state, because that's a really important topic. And yes, we'll get into some really practical ways that Christians can influence the world around us. Let me just leave you with this last thought, this last question. You can ponder it over the next week, and then we'll, we'll pick up on this next time. How did Jesus do this? How did, how did Paul and Peter and John, how did the early church do this? How did they change the world in the context that they lived in? Because listen, certainly the Greco-Roman world that they lived in, the first and second centuries, it was just as morally confused as our world is today, right? It was not any less immoral than what we're faced with today. So how did the apostles and the early church, how did they go about changing the world? What priorities did they use? Did they want to Christianize the Roman Empire? Was that their goal? Or did they have another strategy? And did they use other types of weapons to make the changes that we see in past history? We'll pick up on that next week. Guys, until then, stay unshakable and keep loving each other well.